Okay, good morning everyone. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Hey dear Father, we thank you once again for bringing us here today. And we thank you for your word which speaks so powerfully to us. And we just pray that your Holy Spirit will be guiding me as I teach your word. And uh, that for, for all of us here, that we will listen to your word, take it to heart and to really uh, live it out as it has been worked out in the life of Paul. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, has anybody ever said to you that uh, you need to get your priorities right? Okay, has anybody ever said to you that you need to get your priorities right? Well, I remember before I became a pastor, I was working as an accountant, and I had to uh, report to different people, prepare different reports, uh, have different assignments, and I had to manage people. And at one stage, my life was uh, seemingly out of control at work. And my boss sat me down one day and he uh, said to me that uh, you need to get your priorities right. And I remember that occasion because it reminded me that uh, I had sort of become overwhelmed with so many different things to do, so many people, different uh, reports to hand out, so many different people to deal with and uh, different people to manage. I sort of got confused as to what my priorities were. And it needed my boss to sort of talk to me to get me to get my priorities straight again. And I think that in life as in work, it's very easy to lose our priorities, uh, very easy to lose our way and to take the long, wrong way. You know, there are many difficulties in life, distractions, uh, attractions that cause us to change our priorities and our uh, direction in life without even being aware of it. And I think that as we come to the book of Philippians today, it's really helpful for us because it's, it's like my boss telling me you know, about how to get our priorities right as Christians. And it's really like a priority check for us. So it begins in verse 12, where Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. But because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now what has happened here in verse 12 is that Paul really wants them to know. Okay, This is like the main verb or the main thing that shapes verse 12 to 14. He wants them to know something. And he wants them to know not that he is in chains. Okay, So the last two weeks we've learned, uh, next slide, first slide, was that Paul had set up the church in uh, Philippi, which is up there, during his second missionary journey, and he writes to the Philippian church, next slide, around 10 years later, 62 AD, and he's in prison in Rome. Okay, so they already know that he's in prison, they already know uh, that he is in chains. But he wants them to know not about the fact that he is in chains, but he wants them to know of the effect of the gospel on the gospel that the about his in, in imprisonment so actually this is a very dangerous time for paul okay now paul is not in chains because you know he's on some minor littering offense or you know some traffic offense where he gets a fine but actually if you read in verse 15 it says that that he's in chains right because of the defense of the gospel is it verse 15 no it's not 15 it's another verse, where is it? Huh? 16, sorry, in verse 16, I'm in chains, right, because of the defense of the gospel. 
And during this time in the Roman Empire, persecution was running high and actually there was a very real chance that Paul would be put to death during his trial. And we know from church history that most probably uh, after the writing of this letter, Paul was indeed put to death in defense of the gospel. But what Paul wanted them to know was not about his living conditions, about his worries, about his future, but rather what he wants them to know was that his imprisonment, his being in chains had actually served to advance the gospel. And it advanced the gospel because in verse 13, in the inside where he was, it was advancing because he was starting a really effective prison ministry, right? Among the whole palace guard and everyone else, they know that I'm in chains for Jesus Christ. Now, he's not going around telling everybody, you know, I'm a religious prisoner, I'm a religious prisoner. But what he's actually saying is that in every opportunity he has uh, within the palace guard, within the, the officials, within the court, he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, even though I'm in a new situation where I'm in chains, I do not have my freedom, I do not have the ability to go out and do what I want to do, but yet, I want you to know that even in this restricted condition that I'm in, I rejoice because I can advance the gospel in a context in which it wasn't advancing before. Uh, the palace guard are hearing the gospel, the court officials are hearing the gospel, the officials are all hearing the gospel. But not only is the gospel advancing inside the palace, but the gospel is advancing outside too. Because in verse 14 it says, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident or confident in the Lord, and they're all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, what had happened was, Paul's example of preaching and continuing to speak God's word, even while he's in chains, has emboldened and made more courageous and fearless the people in Rome and outside to keep preaching the gospel because of his example. Now, I don't know about you, but I can I, I can identify with what Paul is saying, right? Uh, when I first became a Christian, I found it very, very hard to talk to people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember once I invited a colleague of mine from work to go to church. And uh, after the service, he had some questions. So what I did was I, I brought my friend to speak to the pastor. I said, hey, my friend here has some questions. Can you please answer his question? And then my, my friend, uh, who's the pastor, said to me, why don't you answer the questions? And I'm like, oh, okay, I never thought of that, right? But I think that what happens is, as we see other people share the gospel, like let's say you have a friend and he's sharing the gospel, you have another friend who's sharing the gospel, then you yourself feel emboldened too as well. And this was the situation here, isn't it? Because Paul was under persecution and other Christians were under persecution, but they looked to Paul and they said, well, if Paul can be in chains, if Paul can be under arrest, if Paul can be facing death, and still faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then I can do the same thing. I'm not facing death, I'm just facing hardship and persecution and suffering. I too can preach and teach the gospel because Paul, who's facing much worse persecution, is willing to preach the gospel. Now, I remember when I was a very young Christian, I went on the university campus to do one-to-one sharing of the gospel of people, and I was terrified 
I could hardly open my mouth and say anything meaningful at all. Right? But then when I went with another more mature Christian and I saw what a good job this person was doing, that he was fearlessly sharing the gospel with strangers, I felt that I could do it too because his example was encouraging me. And that was what was the effect of Paul on other Christians. He was speaking the word fearlessly in imprisonment and as a result, he was actually encouraging people outside to preach the gospel more. Now I wonder what our priorities are in terms of advancing the gospel. See, I want you to imagine for a moment that you were in prison. Okay, and uh, if you were in prison and you were in Changi prison and you only got one letter to write to BTPC, right? Or one phone call, what would you talk about and what would you write about? You might write about how you need a good lawyer, maybe get Mark to speak to me or something, you know, or I need, uh, uh, you know, uh, special privileges, I, I, I'm innocent, I, I need to get an appeal. But you notice Paul's priority would be very different to our priorities. In his letter, he doesn't ask for a lawyer, he doesn't ask for clemency, he doesn't ask for appeal. What he really wants them to know is that all he cares about is the advance of the gospel. Now I wonder for ourselves whether we share that priority. You see, like I said in the beginning, the main reason what uh, in verse 12 to 14 was that Paul wants the Philippian Christians to know that his priority is advancing the gospel. Because he wants his readers, he wants his listeners to share the same priority. So do we share that priority in our life of advancing the gospel? Because according to God's word, According to the example of Paul, the advance of the gospel is more important than health and even death. Now, I want you to share, I want to share something uh, which might be quite shocking to some of you. Uh, when my father had prostate cancer about 15 years ago, uh, I mean, most of us would say having a father, father having prostate cancer is a, is a terrible thing, right? But I remember actually uh, thinking about it for quite a while and sharing with my family how <clears throat> in many ways, when my father had prostate cancer, uh, I actually thank God. And you sort of think, wow, what a terrible son I am, right? I mean, thanking God that my father has prostate cancer. But I really thank God, uh, even while he had it, because before he had prostate cancer, he was completely close to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would not listen to anything I shared with him, he would not consider going to church, he, he would not consider anything about Jesus Christ. But when he had prostate cancer, uh, that was when the gospel advanced in his life. Uh, that was when he actually had Christian friends who came to talk to him and he was willing to listen. That was when he first started going back to church. That was when he actually started listening and, 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 and thinking about the things of God. So actually, when you think about it, what was really most important to me for my dad's life was not whether he had cancer or not. What was the most important thing was that the cancer caused an opportunity for the gospel to advance in his life. And I think that that is something that is, is the right thing as a Christian. I, I don't regret that. I don't apologize for that. Because really, that is the most important thing, that the gospel is advancing in his life. So truly, do you share that same priority in your life? Do you want to see the gospel advancing 
in uh, the people around you, your friends, your relatives, uh, your colleagues. When is the last time you courageously and fearlessly, like Paul, uh, spoke the gospel to someone? Now, verse 15 to 18, uh, there's a bit of a twist, isn't it? Because it doesn't flow very well, this water. Um, Because he's, he's really thankful that the gospel has started advancing outside in the, the city of Rome, probably, while he's in prison. But in verse 15, we read that actually some people uh, were preaching out of envy and rivalry. Right, in verse 15, it says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Uh, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Now, what's interesting here is that Paul can still rejoice at the advance of the gospel outside, even though some of the people who are advancing the gospel or preaching Christ are doing it out of wrong motives. Right, if you look at verse 15 and 16, they're doing it out of rivalry, uh, out of envy, uh, out of selfish ambition. Now, it's very important here to take a note that there are two different sorts of people operating uh, outside of the prison. Okay, So in chapter 1, there are people here who are preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're preaching it out of wrong motives. Later on in chapter 3, we will read of people who are preaching the wrong gospel and uh, Paul's very, his, his attitude to these people are very different okay? because he, he basically is very angry at these people. But, but for these people in chapter 1 who are preaching the true gospel, who are rivals and ambitious and have selfish pride, but they're preaching the true gospel, Paul can rejoice. Now what a... What an interesting attitude that is, isn't it? Because I, I want you to imagine if you were in prison and uh, there were people who were taking advantage of your imprisonment to to make hay while the sun shines, right? To to maybe slander you or maybe to say bad things about you and to to take the opportunity uh, to to make gain at your expense. So maybe there were these pastors in Rome who are only too happy to see the Apostle Paul go to prison so that they could have their reputation grow, so that their churches would grow, so that their finances would grow. And uh, they would not be loving of Paul. They might say bad things of Paul. But Paul doesn't feel angry. He rejoices because what really matters to Paul, the priority of to Paul is that Christ is preached. Now I think, this is a, a really good lesson to us, isn't it? Because if you look here in verse 18, the only thing that matters to Paul is not his personal pride or personal glory, but that Jesus Christ is preached. In verse 18, it says, What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, I think that for us as a church, this is a really important thing, isn't it? Because I was reading this book uh, a long time ago uh, by this pastor called 
Eugene Peterson, uh, he writes he writes that Bible co- uh, translation called The Message, and he's got this book called Working the Angles, right? And in the first couple of pages, he has this very uh, strong accusation of pastors in America. He says the pastors of America have become uh, metamorphosed into a company of shopkeepers, and the shops they keep are churches, and they are preoccupied with shopkeepers' concerns. How to keep the customers happy, how to lure customers away from competitors down the street, how to package the goods so that customers will lay out more money. And I think that that's in a way true, isn't it? Because for many churches and many pastors, the most important thing is not Christ is preached, but the most important thing is that my church is preached. So I remember talking to some other people before uh, in different scenarios where basically everything the church does, spending money, ministry and everything, is to benefit the church. But I think if you look at this passage, it's very clear that the most important thing for the church is that Christ is preached. Uh, it doesn't mean that we spend money only because BTPC is preached. right? Or we do ministry because BTPC benefits. We do things so that Christ will be preached and the gospel will advance. Now when you look at this passage, you can see that uh, Paul says at the end of verse 18, he rejoices that, Paul, that Christ is preached. Okay. Now, what do you rejoice over? Okay, what do you rejoice over? Because rejoicing is one of the themes of this section. What do you rejoice over? What do you feel joy over? When's the last time you felt joy? Now, as Christians, we should feel joy when Christ is preached. We should feel joy when we hear of someone becoming a Christian. We should feel joy when we see someone grow in Christ. And not necessarily because I converted them or I shared with them, but because somebody else might have shared with them. Somebody else might have uh, 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 preached to them. Do you ever feel joy that way? Do you ever feel a sense of happiness that other people are hearing the gospel, are growing in Christ, and not necessarily through you? Paul goes on in verse 19, right? <clears throat> so he feels joy that the gospel is preached. And he says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. And I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will always have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or death. Now what does it mean here when he says that uh, uh, through your prayers and by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance? Does it mean that he will be delivered from his prison cell? Does it mean that he will be set free from prison? He will go free? I don't think that's what it means uh, because actually... When you look at this passage, um, Paul says a very strange thing, right? In verse 19, through your prayers and by the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened will be for my deliverance. Now, 
we could sort of understand that uh, if Paul said, oh, you know, by your prayers, I'll be set free from prison. Okay, that makes sense. But it's kind of strange, right? If you say, well, by your prayers and the Holy Spirit, I'll be set free. Now, what, what, what does the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus got to do with setting me free from prison, right? Because actually what happens is this word deliverance, uh, if you look there, my NIV has a footnote. I'm sure your Bible has a footnote too. And this word deliverance uh, can actually mean vindication or salvation. Okay, so if you look up here on the slide, uh, this is the same word. And you notice that it's actually translated as a spiritual deliverance. So verse uh, 1 to 16, 116 in Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God for the, the deliverance or the salvation of everyone who believes. In Luke chapter 1 verse 77, uh, to give his people the knowledge of deliverance or salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Okay, or deliverance or salvation is found no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So what Paul is actually saying is that the, the prayers, uh, the Holy Spirit are helping him to be delivered or saved. Now why does he say that? Why does he say your prayers and the Holy Spirit are, are, are going to help me to my salvation? Well, that's where verse 20 comes in, isn't it? Because he expects that he will in no way be ashamed, but will always have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. So what he's really saying is that the Holy Spirit and their prayers will help him to be courageous during his time in prison and that he will not be ashamed of Jesus Christ. He will not bring shame on Jesus while he is in prison, but instead he will exalt he will exalt Christ during his time in prison. See, I think that's a, a very important and profound thing. That when we face persecution and suffering and difficulty, what, what should we pray to God for? Well, sometimes we pray to God for, uh, uh, um, I guess, for God to take away that suffering. But Paul here, thanks the Philippian Christians that they are praying to him, for him, that he will have strength to keep persevering till he dies so that he will not bring shame on Jesus, but instead to exalt Jesus Christ. In fact, this word here, right, exalt Jesus Christ, that Christ will be exalted, my body, uh, is actually this this uh, word called, uh, okay, in the original language, it's called mega Luno, right? And, and actually, when you think about it, the, the word mega, uh, I think, can come from the Greek, right? Mega, you know, mega is like, you know, mega store, right, whatever. So actually, the literal way of translating it is that Jesus Christ will be declared mega because of my life. Right? That Jesus Christ will be declared great because of my life. And that's why Jesus, that's why, not Jesus, that's why Paul rejoices. He's rejoicing that in his life, Jesus Christ is declared mega among the people. See, what is the priority in your life? Is the priority in your life to declare Jesus mega to the world? To exalt Jesus Christ in your life? Is that what causes you to rejoice? I remember two of the most prominent uh, Christian 
people that I've heard in my life uh, speaking were, were Don Carson and this guy called Philip Jensen. And both times, uh, in many different years apart, I've heard them both sharing that the most important thing for them uh, in their life is not to bring shame to Jesus Christ in their life. That's what they've shared. They said, they've actually publicly said that there are things worse than death. And that is to bring shame to Jesus. They, they would feel they would rather die than bring shame to Jesus Christ. And, and that's always sort of had a impact on me. I've sort of thought about that and thought, that's really true, isn't it? That's really true in our life. One of the things that we must rejoice is that we do not bring shame on Jesus, but instead we exalt Jesus, we declare Jesus great. We, we declare Him mega to the world. Now I wonder whether in our priority in our life, whether that is something that we strive to do. That in everything we do, we seek not to bring shame to Jesus in our testimony, but that we declare Jesus great or mega to the world because of the way uh, that we live. Is that something that brings us joy, that we rejoice over? Is that something that is really important to us? Do we really feel that it, it will be more preferable to die than to bring shame to Jesus Christ? Well, in the last section, verse 21 to 26, uh, Paul says uh, what is probably the most uh, memorable verse in the whole section, right? which is in verse 21. For to me... To live is Christ and to die is gain. Right. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, now, what does he mean by that? He literally means that for him living is serving Jesus and dying is gain because he goes to spend his fellowship forever in eternity with Jesus. Now, what Jesus, uh, what Paul is saying here, he, he's not sort of saying some sort of pagan lifestyle thing, you know, like let's play hard and die young philosophy. Neither is he talking about, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm suffering so much now, I prefer to die, right? He's not talking about euthanasia, right? Okay? Uh, euthanasia, if, if, for those of you who don't know, is, is where you voluntarily kill. So I always thought euthanasia, euthanasia was youth in Asia, right? I was like, well, I don't know what, uh, what you're talking about, right? But euthanasia is where, you know, your life has become so much suffering that that you choose to kill yourself. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, I prefer to die because you know I'm suffering so much in prison. But what he's actually saying is, for, for him, his, his appreciation of heaven is so strong, his fellowship with Jesus is so strong, that he would prefer to be with Jesus in eternity rather than living this life. But in verse 24 to 26, right? Uh, so verse 22 to 26, actually he says that even though he would prefer to be with Jesus Christ, he would actually choose right now to go on living. Why? Because, it says there in 24, it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, Paul's priority 
in living is serving other Christians. But serving here very specifically in terms of their progress and their joy in faith. Now, I guess I could talk a lot about progress and joy and faith, but that's not what Paul's talking about, so I won't talk about it here. But I want to talk about our role in other people's joy in their faith and their progress in their faith. You know, I, 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 even for myself, it's not something that I, I rank very highly in my life when I wake up in the morning. When you wake up in the morning and you brush your teeth and you look in the mirror, do you say to yourself, my aim in life today is to serve another Christian so that they will progress in their faith and have joy in their faith. I don't think so, isn't it? It's not something that comes naturally to us. But it must be a priority for us, isn't it? Because that's what Paul is saying, to live is Christ. To live is to serve Christ. I've been put here as a Christian to serve Jesus Christ and part of serving Jesus Christ is to, to encourage another Christian brother or sister to have joy in their faith and to progress in their faith. So, think for a moment, just think for a moment in your own life. Who are you helping find joy in their faith? Who are you helping to progress in their faith? If you can't think of a person, I mean, just think of a person now, today, that you want to encourage in the joy of faith and the progress of their faith. Because surely this is something that must be a priority for us, isn't it? See, as we look at today's passage, it seems almost alien to us. It can almost seem alien as I read it. Because these are not priorities which come naturally to our fallen human self. The priority of advancing the gospel, speaking the word. The priority of not bringing shame to Jesus, but declaring Jesus great or mega to people. Or, you know, encouraging other people and the joy and the progress in their faith. See, in conclusion, I remember uh, there was a missionary who once came back from overseas. Many, many years, they lived in some remote country, and they came back. And they said to me once that, you know, they found that when they came back to their home church, they said, you know, Christian people are so busy. Christian people, he said, they said, uh, fill up their lives with so many things, so many priorities, uh, entertainment, Television, sports, uh, internet, uh, health, advancement, career, other studies, work, family, children. And this missionary said, actually as a result, many Christians have forgot what are the real priorities in life. And what are the real priorities in life? Well, it must be speaking God's word. It must be exalting Jesus Christ. It must be encouraging other people in the joy and progress of the faith. Now, I was reading the newspaper uh, the other day, and uh, they were talking about, uh, there was this Twitter guy called Professor Nine. Okay, I don't have Twitter myself. And apparently, they said that apparently this guy, Professor Nine, is uh, some Twitter phenomenon, because apparently Twitter is a very self-indulgent um, form of internet platform, right? So people write all sorts of inane nonsense there. 
But uh, according to the newspaper article, this Professor Nine, people subscribe to his Twitter feed because he writes a lot of very profound things. So one of the things that he wrote is, uh, every now and then you should step back, take a look at your life and keep stepping back. And uh, sort of all these things are supposed to get you to think about things, right? And I thought, that's really true, isn't it? Because when you read what Paul has written, he's really asking you to step back and to look at your life and to ask yourself what really is important. And what really is important? right? I remember this guy, John Chapman, said sometimes when he wakes up in the morning, he doesn't feel very motivated as a Christian. He doesn't feel very motivated in his faith. And you see, he only thinks of two things. Two things he thinks of every morning when he wakes up. He says, Jesus Christ died and rose for me, and my eternal destiny is heaven with Jesus. And he says, if those things are true and I subscribe to both those things, then my life must be lived for Jesus Christ. And I think it's true, isn't it? If, if you wake up in the morning, and I hope that you recognize that both those statements are true, that Jesus Christ died and rose for you, and your eternal destiny is heaven, then what should be the priority of your life? Well, truly, it should be to share the gospel with people, to advance the gospel. It should be to exalt Jesus in your life and not bring Him shame. It should be to encourage other Christians to the joy and progress of faith. And I think that that's something that we should rejoice over. Something that should not just be intellectual in our mind, but something that is in our heart. That actually, in our heart, really does bring us joy. When we see other people growing in Christ, when we see other people coming to Christ, when we see the gospel spreading. So I hope that as we look at the passage today, that it really will be like what that Professor Nine said, that it will help us to take a step back and to look at our life and to see whether our priorities are right. That when Jesus has risen and died, He's died and risen, and our eternal destiny is heaven, whether we're living with the right priorities in our life. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we thank you for your word, which shows us what our priorities should be in this life. Dear Father, that we should know of these things that Paul did. We should know of his priorities so that we too will share these gospel and godly priorities. We pray that we will seek to advance the gospel. We should speak your word. We should preach Christ. We should rejoice when we hear of these things happening, even if it is not for our glory. Dear Father, we pray that our lives will be always exalting Jesus Christ and not bringing shame, that we will not ever be ashamed of um, our conduct before you in whatever circumstance, that we would truly seek to rejoice uh, when we hear of other Christians who are growing in Christ, that we would pray for them, encourage them to feel joy in the faith and to progress in it. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.